This is Opposing the Matrix, back from after a two-week hiatus. Um, I'll explain about that in a second. Um, we, uh, we're back and live on the air, and uh, hopefully we got an audience tonight. But if not, I know that people will be downloading the show afterwards, because that seems to be our major form of uh, communication with folks. And what better way to drive home from a long day work than uh, to listen to Opposing the Matrix, right? Um, and, and, you know... Push Savage aside for one night a week and listen to Posing the Matrix. Um, I'm here with uh, with me and uh, with uh, Eric Smith and Jim Wilhelmson. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, guy. Hello. Hello. All right. All right. Hey, there we're all here. Tres we're amigos. Here. The three amigos. You, you bet. <laughs> or Larry Moore and Curly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> What's I, that? I I would prefer uh, yeah. Groucho Harpo and. Uh, hey, the kid doesn't know who Larry Moe and Curly is. I, wanna... I do. I do. I know you do. <laughs> I, we would be we would be devastated if you didn't. So I that's know. true. That's that's a rite of passage to be a man. <laughs> you know, and you know it's funny. That, that, that's funny. Let's let me tell you a story about that because uh, when I lived in Sacramento, I made some friends with Armenians. I worked with this Armenian lady and uh, really neat gal and. I got to know her and her husband and her kids, and then I got to know her extended family and everything. Well, um, early on into the, the friendship, uh, I decided to have them come out to my home, which was about 40 minutes away from, from Sacramento. And um, and so I'm going, none of these guys spoke English, okay, except for the wife and, and the kids, of course. And, and I said, how am I going to entertain these people if I can't talk with them? I said, okay, I'm going to put the Three Stooges on. I put the Three Stooges on, and we had the best time. We watched it for about an hour and a half, you know, <laughs> then we got to all know each other, and then, you know, it was the slaps on the back, you know, and the handshakes and everything else. And it's uh, so, in a sense, uh, the Three Stooges is a universal language. So, um, anyway, a lot of people knock the Three Stooges. Women, for, you know, for the most part, can't stand them. Um, and, uh, uh, reminds me of another thing I was watching one day. Uh, it was a Monty Python back when I used to watch Monty Python. And uh, uh, you like you like Monty Python? I used to back then, not anymore. But I uh, I don't I don't get that type of British humor. I, yeah. I don't I don't, well, I, don't I, I love it. I love it. I get it. And I love it. It's it's yeah. just uh, pretty well, strange. This particular episode was was so stupid that even I was questioning it. And, uh, <laughs> And then all of a sudden, the screen goes black, and it says, if your girlfriend is watching this and she's laughing, marry her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely women do not understand three stooges. That's just purely a a man thing. Now, there is one thing. There is one person that men and women do get. That's uh, Red Green. Okay, who's that? Okay, you guys don't know Red. Yeah, I know who the Red Green Show. Yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Red Green Show. Yep. You, you, you may not. Well, how's that go? You might not find me handsome, but you find me handy or something like that, or. Yeah. Uh, and then the the Possum Club, the Man Prayer. I'm a man. I'm sorry. I'll change if I have to. <laughs> it's uh, 
Yeah, uh, you know, uh, my son one time, he took me as a special treat for birthday. Red Green was in town and he was appearing. And so they had a, a kind of a, a tribute to the Red Green show. And he, he was there. Guy's a born again Christian. He's quite a quite a unique individual. A, a good comedian. Hilarious. So comedy's clean then, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. yeah, it is. Oh, good. Yeah. Yep, it's pretty neat, but it's it's kind of a guy thing uh, show, but it's one that uh, all women can identify with too. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, he's right. a guy, you know, bungee cord and um, um, duct tape. You can fix and cure everything and anything. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking about fixing things, we got a problem with um, with our country and with other things we're going to talk about tonight, but. Uh, you guys been, I guess, have been watching what's going on in Virginia, and I think that uh, that this is going to be um, maybe the the lit fuse to a powder keg, or possibly uh, I don't know what other analogy to use uh, that might lead off to some kind of civil disobedience or maybe even civil war within our country. Do you guys kind of get that that vibe too? Just holding my breath. I mean, it, yeah. it certainly looks like it. But if you watch today's news. You'll find out that uh, day one, anyways, went without incident, peaceful, tranquil. Um, you know, nothing, nothing got crazy or anything. Um, so the the big the big stink with it is is are they trying to confiscate what they deem to be assault weapons from the state of Virginia? Well, that's what I've heard, and, and you know that they're going the whole gamut: assault weapons, anything that I, I don't know about the roundage on um, on the on the guns, but uh, I know here or down in California they were going for you know if it's any more than ten rounds, uh, but you know, the high capacity magazines, the bumper stocks, and everything else they were going into uh, trying to get those. And, and you see what's what's kind of scary is I was just watching a video not too long ago, I, I mean, maybe about an hour ago on, on YouTube, and it was a guy that made a lot of sense. And uh, he was showing, and, and this is the case in Oregon, and I'm sure it is, you don't have this so much, Eric, but I'm sure it is in Michigan too, is that the population centers are the, are the users, the, the, other cent, the other parts of the state are the producers, and it's the users that are dictating what the the, uh, the producers can do, what can say, uh, what they can have in the way of weapons and other things. And and like in like in Oregon, Virginia has uh, an area up by Washington D.C. over by Virginia Beach and a little dot around uh, Roanoke, I think it is, uh, uh, in the middle of the state uh, that has the most population. Eric, you and I were talking before the show, and that's because a lot of New Yorkers have moved down there now. Don't get me wrong. If you're from New York, that doesn't mean you're bad. But there are a lot of liberals that live in New York that like to move and, um, for lack of better words, infect where they go with their politics and their and their um, morals and values, if they have any. But um, anyway, uh, so what his concern was is that, and he was right when he said this. He thinks that not only should we keep the electoral college in the United States at, in the federal level, but we should also implement it in all the states. So that all the counties in a the state, their vote counts. Because he was showing, like, one county had, like, one representative in the state legislature, and the county next to it was blue, and it had five. You know, so there's five votes to one. And my um, my uh, take on this uh, in Oregon and, and elsewhere, too, is that um, 
like for instance here we have a lot of farms around here i mean to the left to the right <laughs> forwards backwards everywhere around here is farms and uh they're starting to plant lots of uh, nut trees and stuff but anyway um we're the ones that produce the food for the ones that want to control our lives so i think a good way to you know, uh, I don't know if this could be done, but a, a good thing that could be done to kind of even the field a little bit is to say, hey, you know, uh, we're kind of tired of you guys dictating our lives up in these little hell holes uh, that you call cities. And uh, we want to uh, see how long you can last if we don't provide food for you guys, you know. And, you know, food and money are the two things that that'll can influence people because you have to eat and you have to have money to survive. And uh, unless you go off the grid, uh, you don't need any money. But um, so the important thing would be, you know, okay, well, you want, you want to dictate my life. I'm going to dictate yours a little bit, and I'm just going to refuse to sell my food to anything that's moving up to north, north to uh, Portland or down to uh, Eugene or, you know, in a case of Virginia, up to the Washington area or uh, Virginia Beach or anything else. And I think that once, you know, you've done that for a couple of months and people can't have their uh, – their extravagant little uh, menus that they have in their their uh, cutesy little um, restaurants. Uh, maybe maybe they'd come around and say, okay, maybe we'll come to the bargaining table and see what we can agree on. But uh, I, Jim, I know you have that problem in Detroit. Uh, Eric, do you have anything like that in in, in South Dakota? Uh, and, and well, most of the state is egg. Right. Um, the thing is, is um, you know, I live in the biggest population center that there is in South Dakota, which is Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh-huh. which is in the southeast part of the state. There's a population of about 190,000, but we're still in a situation where I would say, like, the voting block around here, uh, Sioux Falls, is probably about 50-50, though it it sometimes tilts um, to the right a little bit, maybe 60-40 you know, 55, 45 right, in terms right. of voting, uh-huh. but the rest of the state is red and it just overwhelms, you know, everything else. So even if, you know, the county I am does go, you know, slightly blue, the, the, the rest of the state just, you know, annihilates it. So, that is beginning to change though, because, um, we're having such a explosive growth in population where I live. We have a lot of growing pains now. And what I'm noticing is we're getting a lot of import of people uh, in and the city is starting to change, but that's kind of what they do everywhere else. And it won't be too long. And I'm sure, you know, this will be a, a blue zone at the, at the rate that it is going. So, We're one of the, Michigan represents one of the most drastic radical uh, differences. We have about eight major cities in the lower peninsula. We have two peninsulas, upper and lower peninsula. We have eight major cities, Detroit being the biggest, Flint, Bay City, um, Grand Rapids, Lansing, a few others. Anyways, these eight cities are all ultra left-wing liberal, um, hardcore Democrat, I would actually say now hardcore socialist uh, communist pretty much. And yet 90% of the actual land and area is, and those eight cities represent the largest metropolis areas in Michigan and 
even you know Detroit being amongst one of the largest in the in the country, and yet our land counties um, almost I would say ninety percent are rural farm. You don't think of Michigan as being farmland, but it's almost all farmland. It's it's all um, country. It's all conservative. It's all um, would be solid red. And yet because of the population of the major cities, eight cities, those eight cities have painted all of Michigan, you know, bright blue. And yet the actual demographics is that the majority of the state of Michigan, upper and lower, um, are conservative and country uh, people. Uh Um, But we're not, you know, the only way we're even represented is through the Electoral College and the safety in that to be able to disperse a sense of evenness between the rest of Michigan. If it wasn't for that, um, we would none of us would be represented whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. There was a, a comment made the other day, and I do believe it, that uh, Los Angeles County, <clears throat> or maybe it was, yeah, it was Los Angeles County, would basically, if, if there was no electoral college, would uh, would supersede um, the votes of most of, uh, I don't know what to say, 31 states or something it's, like that. It's more than that. It's 43. Oh, okay. It's, that's even worse. Yeah. L.A. County, you would have basically one or two counties in the entire United States or one or two major cities that would literally control everything forever. That's what you would have. Yeah. But throw into New York and Philadelphia and all the other cities too. Yeah. Yeah. You could pretty much say, you know, LA and New York alone uh, would be enough to basically control everybody. Right. So all policy would be dictated by them. So, so if there's if there's anybody that ever listens to this that has some kind of political pull and 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 they can kind of arrange you know and this is just me talking I don't know how you guys feel about it but somehow arrange that uh, the food that we produce in the farming areas uh, doesn't reach the cities um, you know I I think that would be all interesting to see you know how they would cave it probably a matter of a couple of weeks. You know, um, they they couldn't have their tomatoes and they couldn't have their all their the vegetables because a lot. We of might them, actually have a chance to see that happen. I think very soon there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff happening, like a domino effect, one hitting the other and all of interacting and causing each other. It's like a house of cards that's going to collapse and fall apart. Well, from your from your lips to God's ears, man, I'm telling you because. Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately though, God is in control. He's right. got it all figured out. I'm not going to worry about it, but we're going to, we're ready for a roller coaster ride. It's going to yeah. be one extreme to the other, up and down, far left, far right, far left, far right. You know, it's just, we're going to go up and down, up and down. Uh, the charades and all the things that are going on right now, especially with the, the impeachment uh, process and what ultimate hypocrisy. It's just, you know, I just wonder how long they're going to prolong this uh, charade. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, they caught they caught um, uh, what was it on video? It was a Bernie Sanders campaign person basically saying, if Trump <clears throat> wins the election, they're gonna they're gonna start rioting and murdering people. Right, yeah. civil war. Yeah. Right. So, so they're That's already the Bolsheviks pre- too, you know. Right. Well, if you can't yeah. you, if you can't convince the population to vote you away, 
wrote your way, you murdered them. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I under, I understand that. So if the ballot box don't work, you use the, the ammo box. Yep. Yeah, but you know the curious flip side of this is that um, in all these revolutions, they always use the uh, the, the poor people and stuff. They, they turn them against the rich. But basically now it's you know when you're talking about the politicians like that, it's the rich people that are that are turning against the poor. <clears throat> or, or, or the middle class, so to speak, you know. Um, yeah, you, we all know that the object is to eliminate the middle class and only have rich and poor. And that's yep. what Agenda 2021 is about. Right. Yeah. And um, man, I'm telling you, do you think? Let me ask you a question on this. Uh, the fires in Australia. That it's been found out that they were they were arson. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think? Uh, Right away, you know, my mind starts thinking it's like, okay, I know that Muslims do that from time to time. Um, but, you know, it also could be an Agenda 2021 thing to destroy the outback so that um, the only appeal for people to live is in the cities. Uh, do you think that was an Agenda 2021 thing, or do you think well, it was maybe a Muslim thing where they were trying to no, jihadi thing? No offense to Australia, but isn't, isn't most of us, my apologies, I apologize ahead of time with Australians, but uh, isn't most of Australia kind of a wasteland to begin with? It has a lot of it has a lot of desert, but it doesn't have the. What we're seeing now is just uh, uh, an overblown tinderbox. Now there's massive flooding going on there. It's just it's just crazy. But well, they, they were they, they were talking to the Aborigines who were saying that they they actually had they they would do controlled burns. Uh, in Australia to prevent what happened. Um, but that was all overwritten because they don't, they're not allowed to cut anything down or, uh, you know, clear out, you know, old right. debris they, anymore. Yeah. Just, they're, yeah you're, they're, yeah. They had a form of uh, keeping the environment in balance and that was eliminated. So yeah, part of that was brought on by that, but there are so many different factors. I would have to say, David, it's all of the above. It's a combination of everything, everything working in conjunction to produce chaos so that they can reestablish order out of that. Um, L.A. Mar, you know, all of the fires that went on in the West Coast, L.A. Marzulli's home, it was shown. um, And I've been to his house, you know, when I was doing one of his um, uh, videos and the guy was completely off the grid, had his own pretty much everything, had his own water supply, had his own uh, energy, everything was off the grid. He owned literally half a mountain. And uh, his house, and and there's photographs of of others like like his, many of them had a blue flash of light that came from the skies, yes. And his house was burnt from the inside out. I see. We're, we're talking, we're talking heart, Laser we're talking beam. utilization. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, we have technology that is just so far ahead of what anybody could even imagine that we have, but it's there. Um, during the Reagan administration, when he was putting up Star Wars system, uh-huh. that Star yeah. Wars system is a whole lot more than just a satellite series of uh, surveillance, surveillance um, um, <laughs> satellites. These things have par- – this goes all the way back to Operation Paperclip, some of the stuff that Nazis had prepared. They were they were trying to get huge parabolic mirrors uh, to where they could utilize the sun. And then you know how you – when you were a kid, you'd, you'd burn yeah, ants. Magnifying or, you'd, glass. Yeah. Magnifying glass. They, they were trying to produce weaponry similar to that. Um, and that was back in the 40s. So you can imagine through Paperclip what we've already, you know, 
finessed and, and got. We're talking lasers. We're talking blue beam, blue beam technology. Um, you yeah, know, we're... stuff is science fiction that actually is science fact. When Trump now is trying to utilize, and we do actually have a United States Space Force. Right. Uh, and most people don't even realize we do have one. I think this is one of the things where um, Trump is gathering this because he's aware of, uh, you know, some potential threats. So he's preparing it. But I think somewhere down the tribulation, it's going to be used actually against um, us. So that's what I mean, where the pendulum is going to swing one way and then back to another way, back to, right. you know, it's it's going to be one extreme to the other. So um, there is a technology out there that is actually a grid of weaponry that can not only target an individual species or type of animal, which we see in all these kills, which we see in, you know, uh, when I was in Roswell, all of the trout went belly up in all the ponds. They call them lakes out in the desert. But to me, it's a pond. It's no more than coming from Michigan. We got, you know, ponds in our yards that are as big as what they call lakes there. But all of them, only the trout were belly up dead. When I was oh. in uh, back in Michigan, we had um, everything in the um, um, the Rouge River system. Every what we call Chad, which are silver bass, which are um, one step up from a carp, bottom right. feeders, nasty fish. They were the only things that died. They were all belly up. I mean, just oh, it it was like horrible. The stench and everything. The, the shorelines of the river was just filled with with just the bass. Uh-huh. Which, uh, you know, it's a nasty fish anyway. It destroys water. So it's actually a good thing. But but what I'm saying is the technology is there where they can zero in on a certain species and kill just that species. This goes down to the point, even refined, where once they've got a, a DNA marker for an individual, they can zero in on a person and take him out with a weapon from the satellite. Just go zip. You know, and this yeah. isn't the rantings of, of a, a, you know, a conspiracy nut. No, it's it's real. It's technology. We have it. We've seen all the evidence of it. When you add everything together, these things are happening. Many of the earthquakes and other things that are happening, you can see certain things going in the sky. All of a sudden, there'll be a big void up in the upper ionosphere, and there's a flash of light that comes through. This is manipulation of harp, manipulation of other technologies that we have um, that are tweaking some of the actual forces. I mean, there's a lineup. I always said that once this 2012 uh, lineup um, happened with the uh, the Mayan calendar, it wasn't going to produce anything instantly. I said four or five years down the road, we're start we're going to start seeing things because we're in the line of sight of a huge black hole. It's going to start playing havoc on space time. Well, that is happening. But so these there's a natural lineup of things in the cosmos that is being caused on a natural basis but the powers that be on earth are utilizing and tweaking these out technologies actually using it as a weapon against us as part of uh, agenda 21 as part of the georgia guidestones to reduce the population to a controlling uh, mass and so we're seeing that in all these different ways so they're using any method every method that they can to reduce the population on earth right well, you know, I, I know that, um, well, what was it, about five years ago now, when they had all the fires down in Santa Rosa, California, there was actually a helicopter that was flying around looking at the fires, and all of a sudden, this guy actually had to cut to the left because his 
this uh, green light flashed. It was actually yeah. a beam flashed in front of him, you know. Mm-hmm. And that boy did that get shut up really quick. And yeah. then, uh, and poor PG and E, you know, I don't like corporations for that mo- for that matter so much, you know. But um, down in Paradise, California, when that whole town burned up um, a couple of years ago now, uh, you know, they were blaming PG and E. But you know, how easy would it have been for PG and E just to zap that power line and have it fall and start to fire? I mean, uh, yep. satellite that. that have PG&E yep. sour start to fire, you know. So it's uh, I'm very suspicious when uh, in L.A. Marzulli. I know that if he lived in California, he knew all the rules about fire safety. You know, you cut the brush back, the brush in the trees back. You know, I think it's yeah. two or three hundred feet. You know, and you you have a um, <clears throat> down there they use terracotta tile on their roofs. You know, because it's fireproof. And um, yep, he had all that. He had all that. You know, and yeah. still, and if, and if his house got burned down, then it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't an accidental fire that did it. You know, it's, uh, and again, it's to, to move the people out of the country and into the cities, you know, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. We were um, under attack. We take the very infrastructure of Nazi Germany into yourselves. 60 years later, we become what we once fought against. I don't be so surprised, you know, I mean, even corporate fascism, which now, unfortunately, young millennials think is uh, they've been told that's a definition for free enterprise system and, and capitalism. It's not. I I hate what's going on here. That's I don't like corporations. Corporations have been like amoebas eating up every mom and pop uh, business farm and everything else, turning it into corporate. When you see who's op- owning these corporations, who's actually behind them. Hmm. Like the medical, the whole medical industry, IG Farben owns everything and anything to do with with pharmaceuticals in the United States. IG Farben was the manufacturer of Zyklon B. Yeah, it's it's you know it's the uh, the fact that Germany never lost the war; they just moved their address over to here and have been running things ever since accordingly, and we let them have it. Right. So it's just it's big, it's a big ugly mess. Um, I wish. Actually, anybody under 50, actually, yeah, around anybody under 50 doesn't know because they've never lived in a free enterprise system in a true capitalist country because that right. died in the early 70s. The last strongholds of, of capitalism was pretty much taken over by corporate yeah. fascism. Yeah, that's why, you know, out here there's a big move to uh, to use local stores, you know, uh, to go to the hardware store instead of going to Home Depot. Uh, to go to a, a small market in town instead of going to uh, to Walmart to buy your food, you know, um, everything in Walmart. I, I kid you not, everything is a product of another country, you know. And they got yeah, you. mostly China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, China Mart, and, well, and they got China. you because everything they they sell is stuff that you need, and and they they yep. they entice you to come in there by putting stuff in there that you really can't get anything get anywhere else, you know. And uh, it's really a shame that the uh, mom and pop shops, because, you know, Jim and I, when you were, and I were growing up, and, and even Eric, you know, I think that in the Midwest, the, the change came later. But, you know, if you wanted uh, you wanted some produce or something, you went down to the corner market. You know, you wanted, um, you wanted your shoes, you went to the cobbler. You wanted uh, a haircut, you went to the little guy down on the corner, you know, a, yeah, a pizza, yeah. you didn't go to Pizza Hut, you went to Bella Pizzeria down the, down around the corner, you know, and you wanted stationery, you went down to Silverman's, which is around the corner, you know, you, and you had all these little stores, and you could actually walk to them, 
and you can <clears throat> make a circuit. You know, okay, I'm going to get this and this and this and this and this, and then I'm going to go around the corner and go back home. You know, which yep. means we didn't drive very much. By the way, um, <clears throat> there was an article online, and I think it was in one of the major newspapers. I'd have to check that uh, again. It, it's come out that the U.S. Is, has uh, dropped its uh, CO2 emissions yet more. Um, and it said, uh, thus, uh, you know, negating the need for uh, for the, the big green deal or whatever they call it, you know. Um, so, and, and if you look at the facts, uh, most of the pollution is coming from places like all well, the developing countries, like India, China. Um, yeah, they're, they're the major Asia. offenders. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's where all the plastic's coming from, folks. It's not coming from me and you and... And, oh, maybe some of it is, you know. But uh, another thing is that <clears throat> here in here in Oregon, and, and, you know, thank the Lord that it hasn't um, snowed yet. But uh, what they do is they um, they don't salt the roads here because salt is bad for the fish and, and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm like, who's more important, fish or people driving to work? Um, but anyway, what they don't realize is that. Every time the stinking rain comes and it soaks the ground, there there are minerals and salts in the ground, and those things get washed into rivers. Okay, so a little salt from from rock salt coming I mean, from a one snowstorm isn't going to bother a lot of things. But <clears throat> excuse me, they're starting to get smart now because uh, they're starting to uh, realize that you know um, that salt is is a, a one of the best things to use, and I know that you guys both agree with that probably. Um, because it it keeps the ice melted and it well it melts it and then it keeps it melted until they salt it again of course and in the states that have common sense they do that about you know ten minutes before the snow's supposed to start and that way you don't have problems but um, <clears throat> in this environmental um, hellhole here <clears throat> they um, you know everything is excuse me <clears throat> thank you everything is the the environment and uh, you know how are we hurting the fish. Uh, you know, is are we going to cause some mosquito to to go extinct or something? And and the whole so. nine yards. It's you know, and it's you, you read the Bible and it says that um, that uh, in the end times men will worship the creation rather than the Creator, and that's what they're doing. They're worshiping the creation. They want to preserve something that is in a state of atrophy anyway, and you're never going to be able to you know to 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 keep going without God's help, of course, and. Uh, Every time man sticks his nose into something and tries to fix something, he makes it twice as worse. You know what I mean? Many times, yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, there's a commercial. It's an Amazon commercial. And it's about um, this young woman is saying that, you know, that it's just the craziest thing she ever heard. She's, uh, you know, that Amazon is actually paying for her to go to uh, school to learn to become a um I think it was like an engineer or supervisor in, in some capacity, Amazon. And she says, and, uh, and the whole purpose is so eventually I'm going to um, leave them and have this job and they're paying my education. She says, that's just crazy. That's insane. I, I, my reply to her whenever I see the commercial is, no, that's capitalism. That's right. what I grew up with. This is typical for us. When I was, when I was a kid just starting out in the work industry, um, we still had a system where a lot of your companies, uh, larger manufacturing companies, were still mom and pa owned. The, company, the corporations hadn't, you know, amoebaized everything already. And so a lot of these 
mom and pop factories, if they saw that you had good work ethics, you were a team player, you were really conscientious employee, and um, that that you were smart. I mean, you about your job. Um, they would make you an offer. They'd say, "Look, we'll we'll send you to school to get your bachelor's degree in engineering if you will sign with us uh, for." Four six year promise to be our engineer and work for us. Then after that, we release you and you can go about you know the rest of your life pursuing this course as an engineer. So they pay for your entire education. Uh-huh. Um, this is how a lot of the um, poor working class were able to be promoted. It was through the companies. This was just this was what the American dream was all about. When the companies, you know, World War II changed everything. When when the supply and demand was so big, bigger than what most uh, individual companies could uh, provide, they started using stocks and bonds and, and war bonds to bring in people as um, investing in their companies. So they were stockholders. Some of them didn't realize that all of a sudden after the war, when things began to become prosperous, but but it was redirected not on the war effort, but on private effort. They realized that some of them didn't even run their own company because they had allowed too many stock interests. So now there's like 52% of the stock voters and they could vote. And all of a sudden they don't own their own company. They can't tell, you know, um, what to do or when to do it. The stockholders do. And right. they lost their companies in that way. And there was so much of that that that's how the corporations were able to go in there and, and uh, eat everything up and take it away. And that now, you know, it's just, you know, um, red, or, uh, red or black ink. You know, you're, no, you're a number, you're not an investment. There is no, you know, we're going to promote you or anything. It's everything has just gotten to be fascism. Right. And, uh, you know, and it's different. So, the younger people have no clue. And this is why socialism doesn't work because that goes hand in hand with it. Um, the corporate fascists are socialists, whether it's national socialists or communist socialists, it's still socialism. And guess what? It don't work. It never has. It never will. That's right. Um, well, Bernie Sanders said uh, that bread lines <laughs> are, are, are good. <laughs> the guy that'll never have to stand he, in one. I was going to say, how would he ever know? He didn't even. He's never even had a real job. Which brings yeah. up an interesting point. At this point, who do you guys think will be the Democratic candidate of choice? <laughs> well, you know me. I think that God has a reset uh, idea going on, and there's. If if I'm right, there's not going to be a Democratic Party anymore. They're gone. Well, that would that would fulfill, I think, much of what I think Mark Taylor would echo on that, yeah. if that is the case. Um, I think, you know, whether the reset reset happens now or later, um, <clears throat> judging from the landscape that I see, I think that oh, it's tough. I think Gitmo's going to be crowded with a lot of people, new residents. Yeah, I don't know if they'll ha- end up having a candidate at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, Let's suppose, I, we, we know about Joe this. Biden. We know about Joe Biden's son. You know, as far as Ukraine goes, um, there's two gals that look like they're going to be the forerunners. They're getting endorsed by Pocahontas. the Washington Post. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, Pocahontas is one of them. Yeah. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, uh, now she's a kind of a dark horse. She's smaller. Um, 
in notoriety, but she's getting a lot of uh, attention from the liberal press and everything, and they're really promoting her. Can't think of her name. She's uh, like a governor right now. Um, oh, hold on a second. Not even, it was on it was on Facebook not too long ago, so hopefully it'll be towards the end. Yeah, the name escapes me, but um, what I'm talking about though, uh, she's not. I, I could I could still see it being Joe Biden, but then he ends up. He's kind of going away as 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 a joke, really. I, I don't know that he will be. Have you seen some of the babbling? I mean, this guy isn't even finishing sentences. He's just yeah, but he's 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 if their polling data is correct, he's like always one of the one of the top one or top two, you know, in their polling. Unless they're lying about that too, but who knows? But I think Pelosi wants Biden to be the candidate. Um, they don't want they don't want Sanders because he's not controllable, even though he's you know a goofball. Um, he's a hardcore communist. I I can't. Oh believe, yeah. I can't believe that um, so many millennials are are. And I'm, I mean, I mean, I know Christian kids that think he's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a product of education uh, in public schools, unfortunately. Indoctrination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, all the concepts were already ingrained in them from their uh, public I education. School, I wish they'd take a school field trip to Venezuela and ask those people how socialism is doing for them. Yeah. They'll get a well, taste exactly. of I'm amazed. I'm amazed right now. There's like certain cities now where they're having Michigan being one of them. Um, they're really starting to struggle even to get to hire teachers anymore in certain areas. Uh, the schools are getting so bad um, yeah. just because, you know, the administration doesn't back the teachers. The teachers are um, they have to deal with so much violence in the classroom and just, you know, having to do things that a teacher really shouldn't have to do because, you know, a parent, you know, should be properly disciplining the child and their behavior. But the, the parents are almost worse. Uh, the children themselves. Um that's why you see the rise of, you know, uh, homeschooling. Um, In you know, Detroit, I see a lot of real good teachers that really care. That are oh, yeah. Trying, and yeah, the, the but they, sad they get, thing they, is they get burned out and they have paycheck. to leave. Well, they're taking their own paycheck. They're taking their own yep. resources and buying supplies and equipment yep. and everything to keep their kids going because yeah. they really do care. And that is so sad because yeah. the thing is, it doesn't take a darn rocket scientist to figure out this whole general fund uh, from the lotto system was supposed to be for education. Yeah. yeah. You don't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the, the way the system is, the more they spend, the more they actually make. So who in the heck is getting the money? By now, we've had a lotto system since the 70s here in Michigan. We should have every school should be publicly funded free with free education for everyone and there should be no excuse for not having supplies not having everything pretty much paid for by now because of the amount of money that we have given away and we're supposed to make more than what we give away where who's making who's getting the money because the no, dark educational systems sure aren't it's funny that you say that because that's how i you know we have something called video lottery and um yeah we have it here too you know. right and they sold you know, I don't know if it was in the 80s or 90s when it came into effect. Uh, they sold the idea that 
that was going to fund education in the state of South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And then after they passed it, they basically changed it and diverted all the funds to go into the general fund uh, of the state budget. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and you know what? Those dollars never really went to the education that they said it was going to. So, right. so they pulled they pulled that same scam here as yep. as what you just stated. So, you know, where's the accountability? Everybody's you know wanting to be accountable for. Um, but here's the deal. You know, I, I live in a Republican state, but this was a this is a Republican led thing. You know, right. oh, it's it's the corruption goes on both ways. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Dirty Republicans. It's, yeah. yeah. The, and, there, and there is. Well, you remember before Trump uh, uh, became the uh, uh, the Republican candidate for president. You look at all the Republicans that were against him, that were bashing him, that were, you know, attacking him. Yep. Um, they hopped on the bandwagon later on. Some of them are still, you know, being treasonous towards him. That's why Trump has his own um, security force. You know, he's got um, he's got the government people assigning him like any president had, but he doesn't trust them, and I don't blame him. No, I, I wouldn't either. Um, he has to have his own people so that they can watch the other ones that are supposed to be protecting him. You yep. know, when they, now he's got a contract out on him. Let me tell you something. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say too much. I got to be my own cue, I guess, on certain things. You can't keep a good man down. You right. better be paying attention right now. All the people that are making a, threats or agreeing or these college uh, professors that are saying, yeah, we should go. Uh, I'll, I'll do it for half price or whatever. You know what? There was a day and a time, any other president that ever was in office, you made a statement like that. That was a treasonous statement. That was an act of, uh, what was it? Um, Sedition. Sedition, yes. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's, disgu- it's disgusting regardless of who the president is. And if, just the whole idea that, you know, you don't agree with the guy, that's fine. That's your you right. Know, but why do you I want have, him murdered? I mean, what's wrong with you? I, I, ha- I had eight I was, years of Obama. I didn't, you know, he wasn't no. my I saw him as a treasonous traitor. I warned before he even got into office his background, his history, his connections or lack of connections in, in some respects. Um, his birth certificate, his citizenship, it, it was all there. And, and yet he became president. So you know what? I didn't wish that he was dead. Now, I did not like him. I saw him as a traitor, but I had to pray for him. My Bible tells me that God sets up who he wants in office, good or bad. He is still the one that is ultimately in control. So I don't like him. I need to pray for him because that's what the, uh, the Lord also says to pray for our leaders. So the only way that I could pray and be sincere and, and not disingenuine, I could be sincere about praying for Obama. I simply pray, Lord, allow him to reap what he has sown. Now, one person got really upset at me, you know, for saying that. And I said, my God, what is your problem? What are you afraid of? You're telling me how wonderful this man is, and now I say, let him reap what he's sown. So what are you telling me? He's been sowing bad things, and so you're afraid bad things are going to come to him? You should rejoice and be happy that I'm saying that. If you think he's this great, wonderful man that you think he is, he I'm just asking him. Yeah. yeah, then he should get good things, right? So what's your problem with me? Yeah, This is the prayer I can pray. Let the man reap what he has sown. 
Yeah. So if you're going to get mad about it, then maybe you need to reevaluate who you're supporting and why you're supporting them. But yeah. I didn't, you know, I'm not. I think there's a lot of people that realize he did bad, but they didn't care. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, overlooking, you know, some of the things because we finally have a black in office. Believe me, that even grieved me even worse. I'm, I'm thinking, my gosh, we finally have something that is fair and right. This is almost like the story of uh, um, Joseph, you know, coming in as a slave and being being in America needed that. And we needed that. But my God, not a traitor. Not if you knew this guy, I'm concerned about his color, but the color isn't black and white. I'm concerned the fact that he's red right. or uh, yeah. black. What's the Palestinian flag colors? I mean, he's he was a Muslim. He was a, 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 a um, black, green, and red, I believe. Yeah, yeah, black, yeah, yeah. You got it. Yeah, black, green, and red, and and he was a communist. Mm-hmm. That's the colors I'm concerned about. Right. Oh. We don't need that in offices representing our president because he's not representing the America that I grew up in or that I was I was always warned that those were that was the enemy or at least the the communists was the enemy uh, and they still are. And but even then, I never wished the guy dead. I just the only prayer I could pray with being sincere was let him read what he sows. And that's what I'm telling everybody now, um, whether you like Trump or not. Pray that he reaps what he sows. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, I'm that boy. I'm I'm real good with that. Go ahead, just pray. You know, that he'll reap what he sows. Yeah. Uh, well, he's uh he's going after the enforcing uh protection prayer of people school. prayer in school. I don't know if you guys noticed that. So I saw that today. Yeah, the the right for uh someone to be able to pray in school mm-hmm. without um, repercussion. You know. It's not necessarily imposing it on others or the administration to do it. It's just that they have the right to do so if they so wish. In Dearborn, in Dearborn and Dearborn Heights, um, the American children have to take a class in diversity so they can understand Islam. So they get actually they get a, a brainwashed pro uh, Islam thing about Muhammad, about Islam, about you know just. Basically, takia, a bunch of crappy lies, um, and they're made to take this. Now, the door should swing both ways. You're going to do that. Okay, you know what? You need a diversity class, too, so you can integrate into the American culture. You learn about our history and learn about uh, our culture and our way so that you can acclimate yourself in instead of staying. You know, we don't need to know Sharia law, demutude, and all this crap. We really don't. We don't need it here in America. You cannot be a Muslim and believe in uh, that the whole world and this country needs to be brought under Sharia law and still be a faithful resident of the United States of America and follow the Constitution because Sharia law and the Constitution are opposed to each other. They try to make claims that it doesn't. Yeah, no, it doesn't fit. It doesn't That's work. Right. It never will. It can't. It won't. So you're either one or the other, but you can't be both. That doesn't exist, except maybe in your own, the imagination of your own mind. But verbatim as it's written, you know, the reason why the liberals are fighting uh, the final extinction of Obamacare is because somewhere around 360 page 365 of the Obamacare. Remember, Pelosi said we got to hurry up and pass it through so we can read it and see what it's about. Right. <laughs> That's about the most insane thing in a in the world. Are you uh, what? How about if we take the time right now and read it and see what the heck it says? Oh, page 365. Um, Muslims look at insurance as being gambling. Therefore, they cannot buy their own insurance. Um, without it being attributed as sinning against their faith. Therefore, under the provisions of demutude, the 
taxpayers of America will supply or pay their um, insurance, allowing them not to compromise their faith. They have complete free health care? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you and I are paying for it. Under Sharia law? Jeez. Under Sharia law. I bet you didn't know that was in Obamacare. And as long as Obamacare is around, we, the taxpayers, are paying every Muslim's um, medical Health benefits. Care. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, wow. I'm, I'm told that as a veteran and as a retired citizen of the United States, well, I, I wasn't retired then. I was retired on medical. I could not, because I made $18,000 uh, in 2017, I could not apply for Medicaid and get it. I only had Medicare. Right. Now I'm retired age. I can get Medicaid because the it's changed now. However, my insurance rates go up because now my auto insurance can't be carried over to um, personal liability. So therefore my insurance skyrockets. And in Michigan, our insurance premiums are more than what our uh, car payments are. It's yeah, outrageously it. insane. It's just, you know, a, um, what's what's auto insurance cost? I have I have a night uh, or 2008 PT Cruiser. I have to get full coverage on it. Uh, my my car payment per month is two hundred and twenty five. Uh, no, two two twelve. I'm sorry. My insurance premium is two hundred and twenty five dollars for full coverage. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Gee whiz. Jim. I- Jim, That's I pay. I have uh, two newer vehicles, full coverage, and I pay seventy-eight dollars for combined. Now I worked two jobs most of my life, so I I retired out on a medical. I still made decent money. Most of the people my age who are in my income bracket are given six hundred and eighty, seven hundred dollars a month to live on. And they're told they if they're on um, if they're not on full retirement benefits, but they're on medical retirement because of diabetes or you know other physical things that they can no longer um, you know work a full time job. Um, they got to live on that, and then they're told they make too much to be able to get Medicaid assistance. And yet we have legal and illegal aliens coming over to America that's never put a dime into the system, and they're getting all the benefits that are mine. Yeah, I can't even get my own. Or when they dole them out, they say, "Well, Mr. Wilson, you're making too much this year, so you can you're restricted. You can only get this or that." And, yeah, outrageous, totally outrageous. Um, I've been, you know, I got put on a sucker list. I don't know how this happened, but and I'm wondering now on Facebook if they're not trying to load up certain individuals to get to the five thousand friend limit, so then all of a sudden they can't get any new people. Right. You know, involved in their ministry, because in the last um, eight months, I've gone from about fifteen hundred people to three thousand one hundred and some people. Right. Half of them are third world nations, and the first thing they do is they they show me all these heart rendering, you know, pictures of the poor and maybe an individual few cases. Um, and they're wanting me to, you know, support their ministry and they want to partner with me. I said, oh, well, how did you hear about my ministry? And, you know, and um, they know nothing of what I do. Or, so I tell them and I say, uh, you know, I'm 
I said, you know, because I'm an author doesn't mean that I'm making a lot of money or that I have a big, uh, you know, audience or anything. I Everything I have, I put back into my ministry because my ministry isn't accepted by people. I talk to small animals and wolves and anyone else willing to listen, but I have really got not really big of, uh, of an audience because people laugh at me and think this stuff that I do is, is uh, crazy stuff. So I said, but uh, if you would be interested in supporting my ministry, I turned the tables on them. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, recently, we I told other them, thing. I said, you know, yeah, yeah. Remember our chat room, you know, we'd have uh, people, come, you know, they're on. Here they are on Wi-Fi in a chat room telling us that they're in a refugee camp and would we help pay them to get them back home to their, their you know, 10 kids and, and their wife or whatever. It's like they can't be doing too bad if they got Wi-Fi at the, at the refugee camp there, huh? Yeah. I mean, come on, man. Were we born last night or something? I mean, you know, now the sad thing is in many cases, some of these incidences are real, you know, and there are real problems. But – now the thing I tell them is it's rather easy. I said, well, where did you hear about me and what do you know about my ministry? Um, and they can't tell me. And I said, do you realize that right now in this country, the same people that have put a stranglehold on your nation have put a, hold, a stranglehold on America, too? We're on the verge of civil war. But the last thing any of us are able to do is to do anything at all. I said, right. you know, eagles and illegals are getting our benefits coming over here to our country. We are left at the end of the month with uh, deciding that the little bit that we have left over either goes to food or gas or or maybe divide it up. But we're only eating maybe one or two meals a, a day ourselves. So when you're wanting these needs met by us, you need to not look to America as your solution. Look to the same God that we're looking to because we find ourselves as part of and part of the judgment of America, but we put too much faith and trust in science and technology. But um, it's it's all the American dream has turned into a nightmare. We don't have that anymore. You might think that um, we're making so much money. I, I said, but do you realize my monthly rent is $750 a month? And that's low rent. Average person's paying maybe uh, $1,200 a month for rent. Right. Right. I realize that. You're coming from a country that makes $52 an entire year for an income. I get it. You see our big money, you think we're rich. We're not rich. Can you imagine paying um, $750 a month for your rent? No, you couldn't because that's what? Five years of, of living an entire wage? It's way beyond your means. Right. We make more, but we spend more. We're in the same boat at the end of the month that you're in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's nothing to give you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know your needs are real. You need to look to God for it, not America. America can't. Uh, we're under judgment. We're going through some hard times. We don't have it. Right, right. Hey, you know, speaking of judgment, Jim, um, we got a letter, or you got a letter from somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's quite judgmental. And um, I, I, I would like you, if you wouldn't mind, to read the letter. You don't have to say who it's from. Right. But uh, and let's let's address that because folks, you know, we believe in, in free uh, free speech, and you could write to us and tell us that you think we're a bunch of slime lizards or something like that, and you know that's your opinion. But when you start dictating to us about our ministry and how we run our ministry and what's right and what's wrong, uh, if you're right, hey, we're going to agree with you and we're going to change. But if you're wrong, we're going to address it. We um, 
got this letter from, I, well, Jim did, from uh, somebody oh. that wrote to him. And, uh, well, Jim, I'll let you take it off, take away. With yeah, in, in context, we had been talking uh, several weeks about 501c3 churches, about how the corporate mentality has taken over um, the church government structure, and how 501c3, the whole, the whole structure of you, know, you pay, you say. Most of your elders and leadership in 501c corporate uh, kind of churches are people that are gifted with uh, with government giftings and governments. I mean, as far as um, organizational skills um, and things, they are successful business people. Um, and so they've been, on the most part, the largest contributors to uh, the church. And because of the largest contributors with proof of uh, valid companies that are flourishing and, and making it good, they're entrusted to be the um, the board of elders to help lead, steer financially uh, in business-like um, the ministry. Now, there's one big problem with that. The Bible says that those that are the elders in leadership need to also be a part of the fivefold word ministry. In other words, they are ones that have had some official um, calling and anointing in the working and moving of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and uh, also in a practical day-to-day use. That's not the case. The, the, the thing being that when these board of elders are looking for a new pastor, it's up to them to find somebody that's going to properly lead and represent the church. But here's what has happened. They should be looking for somebody who's going to be a shepherd and lead. So their objective is, I got to find some, we got to find someone that we can give over our authority. Would we follow them and their lead? But instead, because they're in charge, they're not going to give up their uh, leadership, not the way the churches are structured today. They pay, they say, they are looking for a pastor. Will this pastor be able to follow our lead? Right. Completely backwards from what the word of God says. Right. So they're not they're still in charge. So a a pastor and I have a little experience doing that because I've done it for um, 40 years now, maybe. Right. Minus just four four years of being out in Egypt and and backslidden. But minus that, um, pretty much I've been in a capacity of leadership as a pastor um, for that many years. So I have a little bit of an understanding of of the process, everything a pastor many times has to be spontaneous, led of the Lord and spontaneous in acting and making decisions, especially working with people in emergency situations where he's representing his church and the leadership. You can't go to a board and ask permission. I I need to tell this person it's okay that they need this counseling or help or whatever. Uh, Can I do this? Okay, well, let's get we'll get together and have a meeting so that we can discuss this and then we'll get back with you. By then, it's after the fact and way past uh, anything that he's able to or not do. So it it makes it ridiculous. This in part is why the church is ineffective and why it's not doing what it's doing. We have people that are leading it that are gifted in in governmental skills, but not in the word. So they're making carnal based minded decisions because they don't know any better not to. We got the whole governmental system backwards. So the idea then is when you pay, you say is not the way to have a structure for uh, it, it, it. It's a church is not a corporation. 
right. is an ecclesiastic body, but we run them like a uh, corporation. And now bound to the government, we have certain expectations and demands from the government of things that we can or can't do. Now, I was going to a 501c3 church and the, the pastor was continually always saying, you know, we're going to lose it because I'm not complying and I never will. And I've taught all of you better than that. So, you know, whether they are or not, that church is going to continue giving because they're giving with the right understanding. Most churches, though, they have to comply. It's all about making sure that we get enough money to keep the machinery oiled and, and, and running. So it's in that context that this young man, uh, and I'm saying young because I think he's got to be absolutely got to be a young man, um, totally does not get the whole gist of anything of what we're saying. Now, he's at an advantage. He knows who we are. He knows our background. He knows what we're about. But we know nothing about him whatsoever. Right. Um, I can surmise by the way he wrote his letter, and so that's what I'm going to do here. But if we're wrong, I invite you to come on the show and show us where we're wrong. Um, but you better be addressing us with a totally different attitude than the way your tone of your letter is. I'm going to read the letter and then I'll make a com further comment on it. Um, hi, Jim. Please explain to me how anyone gains by giving, let's say, a hundred thousand to a church just to save thirty-seven thousand dollars off your taxes. Look up the tax brackets. Thirty-seven percent is the highest bracket. Man, the three of you don't sound very good just whining about how the rich are taking over your churches and what you are doing about it. And what are you doing about it? You guys sure whine a lot about it. It sounds a lot like hate hate envy to me. Uh. Eric, if you don't like the way your church runs things, uh, runs things, shake off the dust of your feet and leave. It seems to me that each show you badmouth your church. To me, that is not being a Christian. Vote with your feet and find a church that you like. Sincerely, the guy's name. Now, now first off, <clears throat> I don't know who you are, but I do know that you missed the whole point. The $100,000 investment to get thirty-seven back has absolutely not – I mean, that's almost goofy. Right. That's not what we said. You are paying so that you can say – it's not the investment of the actual money that you're trying to make a profit off of. By your investment, you get involved in the politics that is behind governing the church. You have power to make determinations, to steer the church the way you want it steered. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about. You totally don't understand any point. So obviously, you've never been involved or even maybe know that there are politics behind every church that's... Uh, basically a 501c3 and even then some even smaller ones uh, because we are not running our churches according to an ecclesiastical guidelines that the bible tells us mm -hmm. so it's not that they're trying to make money off of the talk on taxes come on man it's about the politics it's about the influence that you can have by buying your way into a voice of the political structure obviously You've never had anything to do with the political structure or governing uh, of an ecclesiastic body. Now, if I'm wrong of that, you can come on the show and you can tell us and correct us where you're wrong. But I got to tell you one thing yeah. right now. If you dare talk to me the way that letter is addressed to me, you don't you're not going to say nothing that right. is ignorant. 
It is rude. It is actually very unbiblical. I am an elder, not only by age. I am sure that I'm probably way older than you are. I'm assuming that you're old enough to understand some tax understandings, but you have no understanding of any kind of policy or procedure. You've got at least be a, a you're either a millennial or a um, what's the other one? Um, very young Gen Xer. Yeah, yeah, a very young Gen Xer. And I'm not faulting you for that. You know, you're a victim of of a digressive society that has lost its way. But you have lost your way in the very way that you can make accusatory statements to us and in a public format. You know, you're you're doing this, you know, posting on Facebook or whatever, or, you know, and obviously you're a regular listener to the program. So, you know, that's kind of cool, but you can't talk to people that way that are much older than you, um, that are leaders or elders in the church with some kind of viable position and fruit that shows that they've put their time in, they put their dedicated work in to be in that position. There was a time when not everybody could just spout off whatever they wanted on YouTube or the other social media. You had to earn a rite of passage to say anything in regards of teaching or instructing in the Word of God. And that rite of passage was fruits of your labor. You had to have a history of changed lives of people that have um, either got saved or had their uh, faith straightened by your involvement with them personally and these testimonies to validate and verify what you're doing. Now anybody can say anything to anyone at any time without impunity without hiding behind the um uh the social media and i hate to say it there's even a social media standard within there that i'm just learning that i didn't even know existed one thing i've been put out of several churches by ghosting i didn't know they even had a term called ghosting ghosting is let me tell you about ghosting find what ghosting is i haven't heard about Oh, really? Uh, you know what? Uh, let's a generation that's more familiar with it. Eric, why don't you tell us sure. what ghosting is? Well, it's uh, it's the way that people deal with um, when they instead of uh, you know whether it be a you know uh, a relationship or you know a friendship or just just knowing somebody, it's where you make the decision that uh well i don't necessarily like what you're saying or i don't want anything to do with you so what i'll do is i'll completely just i'll i'll block you out of my life and uh choose not to interact or even uh respond to any of your responses if you try to get in contact with me i'll pretend like you don't exist i'll ostracize you out of existence instead of being you know straightforward and saying why you don't agree with that person or for that decision uh, you just basically um, just drop them like a bad habit, and you don't say anything. You don't give them a reason why or anything. It's well, that's awfully it's, mature. <laughs> well, that's just that's because no one can deal. Uh, people are uh, how do I say it? Um, no one wants to take the responsibility or have the kahunas to uh, talk face to face. You know with someone they don't want to deal with anymore or disagree with. So that's how they deal with them. 
It's, I'm it's, sure the lies are even, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I'll just back out of this, you know. It's no, like Jim, it's not, it's not even that. You stepped in a pile of crap, now you're trying to scrape it off of your feet and try to be as, as, as indiscriminate as you can with doing it without being confrontational. Yeah, it's but cowardly. it's cowardly. It's a well, coward. It's, it, it's, a, it's what a coward does, basically, yes. uh, at this and point. Because people don't. The most cruel, self centered thing a person can do to another person. Here you're putting this person through wondering, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? What did I say? You know, is it this? Could it be that? I mean, a person that actually cares about having a relationship with you and you just suddenly disappear, ghost them, you're putting them through pure hell. It's like you're taking a fly, pulling its wings off. They're like, you know, you can't fly. And pulling the legs off. Okay, I'm just going to leave you there. Um, you go your way, and I'll go my way. Yeah, they that de- has no clue of what they did, what they said, how could they have done it different? What I mean, you know, it's very cruel and it's very cowardly. Now, I have to forgive that person. Forgiveness is not, you know, I mean, there's two things I got to do. One is I got to forgive you. I can't let your problems become my problems because if I don't forgive you, your problems become my problems. I become the bad guy because I'm not forgiven. Um, if I want to be forgiven, I have to forgive. If I can't humanly forgive, then, Lord, I got to go to you and help me to forgive this person because I'd really like to give him the backside of my hand and try to wake him up for being such a jerk. But uh, please help me. Bring me to a place where I can forgive them because I'm, I'm afraid of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness can turn you weird. It can be end up making you a, a a betrayer to the very one you say you love. So it's not an emotion that I'm responding to. It's a pragmatic knowledge of the fact that if I don't forgive, nothing in my life is going to work out. My calling is not going to work out. Nothing will. I have to forgive if I want forgiveness. The other thing is humility. I can't bash you back as much as I think, you know, you need a smack on a fanny or whatever. Um, God, that's God's job. And believe me, he'll give you a God smack if you need it. But but um, I can't do that because my Bible says that. That God resists the prideful and gives grace to the humble. I don't know me. I need all the grace I can get. So I again, humility is not. A choice. Uh, it, I'm sorry. Humility is not an emotion. It's got to be a choice. I got to consciously make a choice. Remember, um, Dave, uh, Dave, the one time, I, I think you were there that year. I'm pretty sure Richard, oh, uh, let's not, a very well-known UFOologist was at the Ancient of Days conference. Yeah. And I had just finished my speech on the Nazi UFOs, uh, the connection, the technology and all that kind of stuff. And he stood up and here he's got a master's degree in history. But he's telling me that um, uh, he was challenging uh, the idea of, well, why why did the uh, Japanese have the same uh, experiences that the Germans had? And you're saying it's German. What about the Japanese? And he was trying to put a wrench in the whole idea of Nazi UFOs. He thought it was the most ridiculous thing he'd ever heard. So he was attacking it. And he had no understanding of what the Axis power meant. He had no understanding of the agreement that the Nazis had made with the Japanese as being spiritual Aryans. So I was getting ready to, you know, he publicly made me look like a fool. I was getting ready to slam dunk him, man. I was going to make him look like, you know, you're the guy with the uh, master's degree in history and you don't know the history. Let me tell you. I mean, one of the times when the Lord literally verbally spoke to me, he says, no, Mm-hmm. You'll lose the bat. You'll win the battle and lose the war. So I, right. man, whoa! I backed off. 
I went ahead and ate humble pie. I'd rather have smacked him up the side of the head, but I had to eat humble pie because the Lord was telling me later, okay, you would have, you would have won the battle. And then your attitude would have been the big brick wall between him and ever coming to me. But by me being silent now, he's reevaluated. We're talking 10 years, no, 15 years ago. Oh my gosh. Dave, that was like 15 years ago, man. That was ancient history. Yeah, I know. It's good. No, I just saw him on a program. I just saw him on a program yesterday. He is the poster child for Nazi UFOs. He's the man that's in charge and expert and knows all about it. He's saying that the Daiglaka failed, and, and that's what, oh, gosh. It's like, man, you are such a disinformation agent. But he is he question, he is reevaluating everything that he once thought he knew about UFOs and aliens. And it's the Christian influence he doesn't like, but he's realizing that there's truth there that he doesn't want to face because he doesn't want to have to change. Yeah. So he's going through a spiritual battle. But the thing is, had I not decided on that humility, I would have been the biggest roadblock to keep him from ever coming to Christ. Yeah. Lord, thank yeah. you for sparing me of that. I'd rather eat humble pie and look like a fool and know that he's going to be on even grounds without my interference. So that's, you know, I, I said all that to say that, that humility and forgiveness cannot be an emotion that we react to. Matter of fact, in any kind of a crux situation, a problem that we're in, don't ever react out of emotion. <clears throat> That's where we have to go back to the Word of God, default on it. Lord, what? how do you want me to run this? We have to use humility and forgiveness. We got to be like, you know, Spock. Leave your emotions out of it. Be logical. Mm -hmm. logical according to God's logic. What am I supposed to do? I need all the, the grace I can get. Therefore, I have to be humble. Humble is a decision. It's not an emotion. Forgiveness is a decision. It's not an emotion. I don't feel like, you know, doing it. Okay, well, get over yourself then. The, the whole point, the whole key to being useful for God is getting ourselves out of the way so he can do through us what we cannot do on our own. When we do that, that's when we walk in the supernatural. That's when supernatural things happen because we're getting ourselves out of the way and God can do it through us in that supernatural way. Oh, but the other thing is don't start praying for that and think you're going to have a normal, quiet, gentle life. In order to work in the supernatural, you have to have a challenge that's going to need you to work in the supernatural. Do you want challenges? This year is going to be the biggest challenge for all of us, folks. God's trying to get all of us emotionally stable, physically healthy, and spiritually strong for the waves and the roller coaster ride we're about to be on. Right. I right. And I, I can't say too much about a situation that God put me in that I don't even believe, even when God has told me, this is what you see, this is what it is. I ask confirm, confirmation. I'm, I'm making Gideon look like nothing, man. Putting out the fleece, putting out this. Well, again, again, try, try. And I have to decide, okay, I, I need to follow you one day at a time. If it really is what you said it is and what I see, then no harm in me just doing every day what I'm supposed to do because it's the right thing to do. I'll let you figure out the rest of it because this is way too much for me. I don't even know that I believe it, Lord. Even though you're telling me it, it just sounds too strange to. You know, folks, if it's too strange for me to hear, it's got to be really weird. 
Because <laughs> yeah. I deal with weird. My ministry is weird. And if it's too weird for me, we, the point is we're all going to be confronted in those kind of situations. We have choices that we have to make, and it can't be out of our emotion. It's got to be according to God's way. We have to get ourselves out of the way. We have to let God, in a supernatural way, work through us, our psychology, our health, everything. We have to be ready by his hand. But again, we got to know that he's the one that is in control, has always been in control, and always will be in control. Guys, I just I want to throw this one at you, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I got to do this. Do you think God ever – I've heard this as a joke before. God is God. He would never make anything more powerful than himself. Do you believe, do you believe that? Of course. Guess what? God did one thing that made it more powerful than himself, that even he submits to. The most powerful thing in this universe, God submitted himself to so that he will. He set the rules. He's not going to break that rule. That's one rule he won't break, but he has to submit to that rule. Mm-hmm. What do you think that is? Well, you know, okay, you're not far off. It is. It's his love. It's his love on the highest level that he allowed something to exist that he will never interfere with. Oh, free will. You got it, man. Yeah. You got it. You know, when, when I mean, and what does the devil do? He's always trying to tell us, well, look at your God demands that you have no one else ahead of him. See, he want, he's got an ego. He wants to be worshipped. No, as a matter of fact. God loved us so much that he wanted to put a deafening voice to that accu- the, to the accuser. Mm-hmm. How could he do that? Because he gave you free will and he will not interfere with that. So when he's saying, you shall have no gods before me, I have to be first. He's not saying it as the wrathful God throwing lightning bolts and thunderbolts. I'm demanding this because I'm jealous, because I'm egotistical. I love you so much. I am going to make sure that all the creation knows, everybody knows that I will not force myself upon you. I will not be a puppet master. I will not make you do things because I'm God and I can do that. How many times does the devil always tell us, even now, guys, if you're honest, you know that that you hear those thoughts going through your brain all the time. Right. You know, when we're in those difficult situations. It's not a person on this planet that doesn't. If you're still stuck in this earth suit, we're all right. stuck in it. God in his wisdom said, you know what? I'm going to give you the most powerful thing that I won't even interfere with, your free will. So this proves to all the creation all throughout time, God is not a puppet master. He never will be a puppet master. He set a rule over himself that he won't interfere. I want to help you, but I can't if you don't put me first because I'm not going to interfere with your free will. You are freely able to do whatever you want. So whenever we see or think that, why is God playing games with me? Why is he doesn't understand? He doesn't know or, or, um, he's just trying to, you know, uh, Lord over me and make me do things. I, I don't want to do. No, that's not the case. You have the most powerful thing in the universe, your own free will by turning away from God. You cut him off from being able to help you. He wants to help you. He's sitting there probably crying more miserable than you are because he wants to help you. You won't let him because you're not yielding to him because you, you're praying and then you stick your fingers in your ears because you don't want to hear the answer. Right. You're looking, you're looking for some confirmation for what you want to do or justification for what you're going to do. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go. <clears throat> you know, when you read that letter, Jim, I um, I don't know. I guess people know that on the radio show, but um, I work in a in a in a job where I I'm in constant contact with uh, uh, murderers uh, and stuff like that, and uh, uh, sociopaths, psychopaths, narcissists, you name it, and I deal with them all day long. <laughs> and I'm not trying to, to cast judgment on the person that wrote the letter, but it just reminded me of work for some reason. And um, <clears throat> and then it threw me to first, or excuse me, Second Timothy chapter three, and and. If you if you allow, I'd, I'd read it like read like, like the first eleven chapters, and uh, or verses. Sorry, eleven. I was going to say eleven yeah. chapters. Come on, Dane. We only got oh, geez. Well, they ain't eleven chapters <laughs> in Second Timothy. So. Anyway, okay. uh, it says uh, this: though also the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and I'm going to throw in their elders. Uh, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, which is an interesting word. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're running to the bathroom every 15 seconds. Uh, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, <clears throat> uh, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away, for this is the sort that creep into houses and lead, lead silly captive or silly women laden with sins captive, led away by their uh, divers or various lusts, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Jan, Janus and Jabris uh, withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the reprobate concerning the faith doesn't really hit me. Um, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs was. I'm meaning Jan- Janus and Jambres. Um, but thou hast uh, known my doctrine, which is manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. Persecution and afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, and he goes on to talk about is what brought about these, uh, or helped him to attain these uh or, or to practice these different um, godly attributes. Um, I don't see in that letter any long-suffering, definitely no charity, no patience. Um, the purpose I see, and the purpose was demeaning. Um, it was accusatory without any foundation. And as the manner of life of the person that wrote it, I really can't, you know, I don't know them, so I can't talk about that. But um, a lot of times the words to kind of describe, like you said, the... Uh, the age, not only the age, but also maybe the lifestyle the person is living, you know. And it's uh, um, it's just a shame that uh, people don't are not diplomatic. As Christians, we're supposed to be diplomatic. We're supposed to be able to approach people. What did Paul say? I'm all all things to all men, right? Which means you're supposed to be walk. You're supposed to be able to walk up to maybe a drunk on the street and preach to them, and not, um, you know, not. Uh, blast them for for over drinking and stuff like that or you're supposed to be able to walk up to an adulterer and and understand um maybe the the things that led him to do what he did um you know not that we go out and and purposefully do those things that we can understand but to pray that the lord will give us understandings when we're put in those situations and not to 
to come out and say, well, you know, you did this and you did that, and blah, 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 and, you know, you're guilty of this, so um, you need to walk in the moccasins of the people. That, well, you know, I know for a fact, for me and you and, and, and Eric, that we have walked in a lot of different shoes, and we have um, – Eric, you know, <clears throat> I don't fault you at all for saying what you say because, what, well, and, well, he's telling you to leave your church if you don't like it. But yeah. If you well, love the yeah. people that are in that church, you're going to try to 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 stick with it, and you're going to try to change it. You're not going to try to leave. Only a coward leaves and runs away. Well, yeah, I, I guess I, I'd probably like to make a few comments on that. You know, yeah. um, you know, when I was addressing it, uh, I don't see how I'm whining about it. You know, not that I'm taking that personally. I think that's a little bit, um, you know, you obviously don't like what I'm saying. And that's fine. Um, and then number two, um, I've, I, I have personally had a, a deacon say because of the way the tax laws have, have been shifting um, that the way that people are is giving is changing. And I said to him, I said, well, well, wait a second. Well, why don't they continue to give the same amount that they did before? And I said, it's, it's because of the benefit they, that they were, they were getting that they're now not getting, uh, incentive wise from a monetary standpoint. Though I do agree with Jim, it's more to buy influence in the church, uh, in decision making. But what it exposes is the intent to heart as to why you give. Right. 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 Yeah. And that's what I was trying to uh, address when I mentioned it in our uh, radio show. And that was, and and the deacon understood what I was saying. So, to the person that wrote that letter, you're incorrect because it is affecting uh, how people are giving. So, right, and to say, point. right, to say to me that I, you know, that I can't be critical of the the way that things are done in the church or tell me to leave to go to another, it wouldn't matter where I went at this point because of the way the 501c3 is structured. Yeah. It's a system in place that yep. I would have to say probably 99% of churches are bound to. So there is nowhere else to go right now. So, um, but you want, you want to scare a pastor, tell them that they need to get out of the 501c3 or that that system is going to come to an end because it'll scare them out of their mind because Without it, the whole the whole way whole things are structured, collapse, come, right. it will collapse, and it's going to collapse, and it has to collapse because it's everything it's, is. It's not run, based on the Holy Spirit. It's based it's on not, intellect. It's intellect. It's based on uh, corporate uh, running a church as a business in a corporation, which it, it should not be. Later and it's putting people in. Yeah. It's allowing people to give money to exchange for influence and. Sometimes, uh, not that I'd say that every uh, person with a lot of money or a businessman uh, isn't necessarily unethical, but in my instance, in the place that I go, uh, they have cheated. There are many that have cheated people in our community, but yet they maintain the power within the church structure that I am in. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, and many of them will say that church ethics and business uh, matters are two separate things. And willingly will proudly state that to people. So well, they should not be an elder. They should no. not be in a place of authority, but they are because of that. Right. So y you can say that I'm a whiner, but the reality is that is the truth. 
that is the business model that is in place. And the that reality is, what, is, look where America is today. Yep. Look where the church in America is today. We have failed. Yep. We have failed miserably, and we're accountable to that failure. Where are we accountable to the failure? That's what we're trying to get across to everyone. It's not that we got a, uh, uh, an attitude towards rich people. We have an attitude towards a system that has become corrupt. It is not going according to the word of God as far as how a church is supposed to be set up. Um, that is what we're proclaiming. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's here's the way back. Let's get our churches structured back to what God says they ought to be through his disciples, through Paul, through um uh, Peter and John and, and the rest that, that give us the guidelines in the New Testament as to how a church is supposed to be functioning and, and running, the intent of heart, what that exactly is and define. Um, that's what we're trying to point out. We've lost our way. And we need to get back to our way. So God is going to use the so-called watchmen, prophets, whatever you want to call them, um, the leaders that do see that problem. We're just proclaiming the way to life. health, the way to Pro- life. Proclaiming what is what, what is to come. Yeah. Right. Whether you like it or not, it is coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, either, you know, by means of uh, people coming out of that system or that system getting uh, changed, and it's going to get changed. Yes. So whether right. you like it or not, it is coming. You can you can learn things two ways. You can learn it. You can learn things by... <clears throat> By researching and listening to to people that have been through things, and and uh, my dad used to say, it's a wise man that uh, learns from his mistakes, but it's an even wiser man that learns from the mistakes of others. Amen. And, yep. uh, you know, so that's why that's why older people are around, and it's a shame that in our society, um, when people get to a certain age, you're just cast aside and treated as uh, old fools because uh, uh, you know the younger people think that they know better than the older people. But the older people, you know, guys like me and you and, and Eric, you're getting up there now, too. You know, we've been through a lot. We've seen a lot. We've, we've made the mistakes, and we, we just want to get it out there that, hey, we've made this mistake, and you don't want to go this way. But some people, for whatever reason, have to learn the hard way. And maybe this gentleman will learn the easy way, and he'll, you know, he'll listen and start. When I was a kid, I, um, I, I was – I don't know. Maybe I was, I, I always felt like an, I hate to use the term because it's new age, but like an old soul. Um, cause I would, I would love to listen to the older guys talk. You know, I learned a lot from listening to the older guys talk. And to me, when I was a kid, yeah. older guys were in their thirties and forties, you know, <laughs> and, but they were listening to people that were in their fifties and sixties. So, you know, yeah. past, yeah. wisdom was passed down the line. It was passed down the line. Yeah. But, uh, man, I, my grandfather, I don't know how many times he gave me speeches on things and I, uh, you know, it, it might have been the same speech, and I might have had to listen to it 40 or 50 times, but I listened out of respect, first of all. I didn't sit there and go, Grandpa, you've been rambling on, shut up. You know, that's disrespect. Um, and you don't disrespect old, older people. I'm sorry. You know, that that's that's another clue to why this, I think I agree with you, this guy's a younger guy, or he's an older guy that just hasn't learned. Well, they're a victim, I believe, of a system and an educational system and a cultural system that has changed and created this um, lack of, of respect, lack of understanding. There's a guy in um, Peacemakers that I work with. There's only two, two other guys 
They're uh, one is 80 and one is um, well, they're both 80. Come to think of it, um, and I'm 68. I'm the next oldest guy there, other than Pastor Steve, which is 70. So he's got two years on me. But I I was talking to the 80 year old guy uh, today, and or yes, no, last night. Yeah, um, I was talking to him about how I said, you know, what people in our group needs to see, especially the millennium. We got a lot of millions in our group and I thank God for them that they're there, but they're so clueless to protocol and certain things that should in our minds, boomers minds, this should be almost common sense. Well, it's not there. So right. we have to deal with it. So what I told him, I said, look, you're 80. I'm 68. I'm an old guy, but you're an even older guy. I said, and I said, and that's not, you know, it's not your fault that you've been on the earth that that long. But think about this. You have 12 years experience at being 68. Now, 12 years extra experience on anything. That makes you somebody you want to kind of listen to. You know, if you had 12 years experience, uh, you know, as, in a skilled trade, doesn't that you make you better than someone that's just started out? Of course right. it does. And so right. if that person has any sense of wisdom at all, he's going to appreciate that. He's going to respect it, and he's going to listen to you. And I laughed. And I said, heck, who knows? You could be my daddy. And he said, well, it's only 12 years. Well, I said, oh, so maybe you started young. But okay. But the point is, you've got 12 years experience on what I've only got one year experience with. So right. I need, if I had any wisdom at all, I would appreciate that and listen to you. That's, you know, it doesn't matter what your educational level or anything else is. Just the fact that you've been on this earth. 12 years longer at my age than I have, you probably have something to impart to me to, to say from life experience that if I had a uh, wisdom in my mind, I would want to consider and I would respect that to have the opportunity con to consider it. That's what the millennials need to see. So when you see me submitting to you, I do it because I should, because I also want to teach them if they see me reacting with you this way. So don't feel like, you know, put off or, you know, I'm just understand i'm doing it for their sake they need to be taught something they don't know so if they see it in, in our inner reaction just accept it as being that because they need to know that because they don't know it mm -hmm. so he it was kind of you know i i just saw his countenance and everything just really um he was impressed i think he was thankful that i was willing to do that but i, I have to be these kids are not going to learn by any other thing than by example so i have to set that example for them um right. And any other little guy, I gotta, you know, I gotta tell him the same thing. You know, he's he's kind of a comical guy. He's pretty neat, but but again, you know, I'm, I mean, that's just common sense on my part. These guys have been around twelve years longer at my age than I have, so they probably got something that I can learn from if I'm willing to listen. And that's the way it should always be. Like your grandfather, my grandfather, same thing. My grandfather, he would repeat, repeat these stories, so I could quote him back as he's talking. Right. And I loved hearing about him. Uh -huh. Man, I lived in the 20s. He has told me so much about the 20s. I lived in World War II. I was there in the Philippines with him. Right, right. That's the way I, you know, that's, I mean, he has made such an impression on me with his stories. And I understand history from a whole better, deeper perspective, almost as if I was there by not only listening to his stories, but I would ask him, Grandpa, how did you feel about that? What were your what was your fears or what was your you know, did you think maybe you weren't going to come back or, um, you know, how did you feel? He says, well, Jimmy, I was 33 years old. I'm out in the jungle. I didn't think I would ever make it back. Right. I was too old. Right. And everybody told me I was too old. But 
I, I had a family I had to come back to. Yeah. And little things, my gosh, he was on, I mean, there was a time during a big battle and he was on a beach and he looked down the beach and he picked up a coin and it said 1776. Wow. And that just spoke to him. The birthday of my country. Uh-huh. God's with me. That's right. what he thought. Birthday uh-huh. of my country, God's with me. I looked at his Bible that he had during that time. I, I still got the Bible. And he was, this was before he was born again. God was talking to him, man. Boy, God was leading him, guiding him through. He had scriptures highlighted that God had spoken to him about. And he remember, I remember showing me, he says, this is what he showed me in, in my Bible a couple of days later. And I can't remember the scripture now, but it was directly related to having faith and being strong that, you know, these signs are for you to have hope in the future or whatever. You know, it was it was something like the Jeremiah one, but it wasn't Jeremiah. And uh, it was out of Psalms. And uh, boy, that was awesome. It was just really neat to see that. So had I not been willing to not just listen to my grandfather's stories, but ask him questions. How did you think? What did you think about that? How did you feel about this? You know, I was always wanting to know what he thought and what he felt. This made it very personal. This was a, an experience that that uh, made it real, like I was there. The Roaring Twenties used to tell me, you know, uh, I mean, well, <laughs> his nickname was Spike. Uh-huh. He used to work at a speakeasy, which is like a blind pig, which is like an illegal alcohol establishment. Right. And he was a bartender, so he got a nickname Spike because he'd give everybody an extra little spike of something. But that was his whole personality. He would always do that with everything that he did. He would always put more of himself into a relationship, into anything. And so that's I did that at his funeral. I said his name was Spike, but it exceeded far beyond alcohol. And when it was legalized and everything, he was he was that extra something that everybody needed when they needed it as a friend. So that's kind of cool. Well, I know that one of the things that in my my profession that um, we do, um, because I'm off for three days and I work for four, but um, so when you come back on that that fourth day or the first day of your shift, you get something called report because you want to know about anything that's happened during the week, you know, has anybody's um, uh, demeanor, has it decompensated because that could mean trouble, you know, and um, so I, I know some people that have worked at my workplace, you know, for 20, 30 years, you know? And so they've worked with a population that some of the guys that I know and work with, and um, they've, they've known them for that long, and they know different little traits, you know? Uh, there's one guy, if he shaves his eyebrows, you know, it means he's getting ready to decompensate and go off. There's another one that when he gets hyper-religious, you know, that's, that's a sign that he's going downhill, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I had not listened to these people that have been around for a while and known that these little tricks. You wouldn't have made the connections, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate the, the report that we get when I go in because if somebody's gone off during the week and I don't know it and I'm leading them downstairs to go to dinner or something and they decide and they're, and they're notorious for kicking people down the stairs or something, I'm going to make sure I'm in back of that person when we're downstairs. <laughs> I'm not going to be in front of them. You know, so those little things come in really handy, and I really appreciate that. So, you know, if I were to walk up to the person that told me something about, uh, you know, one of the, the clients, and I said, ah, well, you know, that's just your opinion. You know, you, how do you know you're right? 
you know, maybe maybe you need to walk in that guy's moccasins for a while, something like that. Yeah. You know, and, and then I got kicked down the stairs. Well, dang it, I deserved that, you know, because I didn't listen. I didn't know the warning signs to look out for. So um, I apologize for the dog barking in the background, but that's. Oh, you know what? Be- before we close, um, one other thing I forgot we forgot to mention the uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Um, yeah. Uh, the, uh, JFK, for sure. JFK. Um, I think these, Chicago was the other one. Yeah, these, yeah O'Hare. Um, these airports are being monitored now from Wahoon, Wahoon China. Uh, there is a SARS-like Part B, um, yet it's acting. It's acting like a uh, swine flu. So it has the attributes of both, and it's from contact to contact. They have validated that now. They realize now that it's contact to contact. So it could be air or contact to contact. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't know if there's a. They don't even know what they're looking at yet. So they don't know whether this is a pandemic or not. However, I say in 2011, there was a movie called Contaminant or Contagion. Contagion. Yeah. And you can get it from Amazon Prime. I think renting it, if you have Amazon Prime, you can rent it. It's like $2.99 or something. Um, it's it's on the Internet. It's available. I would suggest watching the movie because that script has already been written. It's identically to exactly what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And that's you understand quantum physics, you understand how the powers that be do that on purpose. It's no coincidence. So this has already been scripted out, and this is exactly what we're seeing now. I'm not kidding you. This is a year of tribulation. I'm not going to tell you specifics. I'm not going to join the Herald Camping dating game, you know, to date any specific events or anything. All I know is personally, my Lord was telling me that I, what I've been waiting for for 20 some years is finally going to be triggered this year this is a trigger year for the tribulation right i'm not going to read into it i don't know exactly what that means but that's where patience comes in we'll just have to wait and wait it out and see knowing that god is in total control and i believe that most of what we've been going through this last year has been hellacious on almost everybody that's serious about serving the lord and it's because God is trying to purge us spiritually, physically, emotionally, um, in preparation for the tsunami wave that's about to hit the world so that we can be emotionally free, physically free, spiritually sound to stand our ground and to proclaim what really is going on in the midst of things. Because I'm not kidding you, folks. You pull out your little prophecy uh, pamphlets that say, well, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. I'm going to tell you, Satan is flipping a script to make evil good and good evil. You don't know how it's going to happen. Things are going to come down so different than anything you've ever been taught. There's a great shaking up is what Peter said. And and things are going to get shook up so that only the things that are really of God and not man-made doctrines are going to be seen for what they really are. How in the heck can we have tried and true tested doctrines on future events that haven't happened yet? That is That is where we've made a horrible mistake. Right. We have to be open-ended and loose-ended for things that haven't happened yet and, and let God unfold them. And he's going to give us everything that we need to know when we need to know it. Um, and then he'll give us the directions if we ask him to direct our steps. 
Mm-hmm. So we're in for a wild ride, folks. It's going to be crazy, but we have there's so many different things coming down with a potential. Um, I see, you know, the Ezekiel uh, 38, 39 war could happen any moment now because all the nations are finally aligned as the scriptures actually tell it. And that only happened in the last two years as Turkey made a reaffirmation with Russia and, and other nations Iran. that we see. Yes, and Iran. Um that are going to be in this invasion. Um, it could, man, it could happen any time now. It could happen. Uh, and that's the first time in 3,000 some years since the prophecy ever came forth, uh, to Ezekiel that, that it's, it's ready. You know, the switch can, can go on at any time. So uh, all these different things, the pandemic. See, I, I've always felt that all these things, I don't know in what system or, you know, what comes first and what comes next. But I do know that it's going to be like a dominoes hitting. You tip one over and that is responsible for the other one being activated, which is responsible for the other one. So I see, you know, the economic collapse of the dollar, um, the Ezekiel 38 war, um, this new age rapture, I say, is, you know, eventually going to happen. Um, maybe, you know, I don't know. All this stuff potentially could be happening all boom, 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 like that. All, you know, in, in a matter of days or weeks. You know, it's going to it's going to sucker punch. Everybody's going to be cold cocked, especially Christians. They're going to be expecting things to be played out in a certain way. and It's not going to happen that way. It's going to be very different. So people are going to want a lot nice. of answers. Some nice. of us have got the answers. Nice giant spanking for the Christian community. Yeah. Well, for all of us. Yes. For yeah. trusting man and not not God. I mean. We want to have everything all figured out. And, you know, sorry, guys, more and more, God's always saying, be patient, wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Um, you know, when, when we're praying and we're asking God for direction, how many times do we listen then to see if we're going to get an answer? Praying in tongues. That's very important. I never used to uh, emphasize that. But, Eric, that one time I remember you came to me and says, Jim, what about this uh, cloven tongues? Is that got any kind of importance when i looked it back up in in the original uh greek and i looked it up in the one scripture in in the book of acts second chapter when they all spoke in cloven tongues but then it caused me to start looking in um corinthians and other places where it's talking about these are the signs that follow them that believe they will speak with new tongues now why is the least of all gifts made to be rather you know an important thing because it's kind of a trigger mechanism we are speaking for some of you that are listening audience out there that have the limited edition gospel, what I call a limited edition. You are told that those things have ended for today. They cease because it says the vital tongue shall cease. Yeah. When we are in heaven looking at him eye to eye, face to face, they will cease. We don't need him then. Now we're in heaven. We know even as we are known. But until that happened, we're not looking at a Bible. We're not. It's got nothing to do with that. These things are still here for today. They're the signs of them that believe. Why? Cloven tongues. Cloven tongues means literally it's a separation. Some, you're parting something from the left and something from the right. You're making a perfect willed prayer to God. I get that. That's kind of neat. But what it really showed me is what's the, the right side of our brain is our artistic qualities, our imagination. The left side is our logic, which tells us the way things should be. These are the two things that interfere with us hearing from God, our imagination and our logic. Cloven tongues, when you're speaking a perfect will prayer in, in tongues, you are putting those two states in neutrality. 
so that you're making a direct line to God in a prayer that you don't even understand, but God understands. Now, here's the key to it. How many of you remain silent afterwards so you can get your answer? When you're praying in tongues, we're sitting there yabba-dabba doing to God, but how many of you have ever thought to be still and silent and know that I am God just to be quiet? Because you're going to get an instant answer to the prayer that you just prayed that you have no understanding of. So in a sense, you're getting the interpretation of that tongue. You personally, for you, you're getting an instant answer because your left and your right side have been neutralized. So you get a clear answer. Man, that's powerful. You don't believe it? Try it. Try it. Everyone that does feel comfortable and knows to speak in tongues, do it. And wait for, and just be still and quiet for the Lord. You're going to get an answer. You're going to get some personal direction instantly. We don't have to. Now, it might even come in a riddle form and you wonder, well, why is God talking to me in riddles? Why is he playing games with me? Because he gave it in a riddle form because he's going to answer you in such a particular way, in such a coincidence of a particular way that you're going to know that you know that you know that it was God answering you in a special way. He wants to bless you in learning his voice to be responsive to it immediately, not wondering, well, was that God or is that me? Is it the devil? No, you're going to know my sheep hear my voice, but we have to be trained to listen to that voice. Yeah. So I hope tonight, I haven't gotten too preachy, but these are things, little things that we need to know in preparation for what's about to hit us. Yeah, it's always good to know ahead of time. Um, like I said, we might not know the specifics, but if you know something's coming, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, it really helps out. Well, and God can make us ready, you know, and and this is how he does it. You know, whoever thought that you could, by praying in tongues, you could get an instant answer. That For me, it was a revelation. I mean, I never... I guess because I live such a busy, hurried life, you know, I'm I'm sitting there praying in tongues. Tongues for me is a power tool. When I watch the news and I get so darn angry and frustrated at, at the hypocrisy of how Trump is being accused and, and maligned, I get upset. And then I start praying in the spirit and I calm down. Everything's cool. I know that somehow I'm praying a perfect willed prayer that maybe it'll take me a few more years to understand why I was praying what I was praying. But. It's all good. It's going to make sense. I'm doing the right thing. I go by and I see an accident on the road. I start praying in the spirit. I'm believing that God knows the situation here, and I'm praying for those people that, that I don't know anything about. But he made the rules, and that was one of the rules. You have not because you ask not. You know, pray, you know, pray, pray, pray for everything and everything prayer. So I've been doing that more and more uh, now that I understand how much of a power tool praying in tongues is. And uh, yeah, we all need to, be, you know, be moving more in that area. We got to be expecting God to use us in the supernatural. So we we exercise the foolish of all prayers, praying in tongues. If we can believe God that this um, this babbling is actually something of an important tool, then how much easier is it for us to believe that when we lay hands on somebody, they're going to be healed or they're going to be delivered from a, a demon or whatever? This is where we are supposed to be doing. We're bringing the kingdom of heaven to people, not in word, but in action. They're seeing what's being done. So you're not just talking to talk. You're walking the talk by bringing them the kingdom, the evidence of the proof, prayer, healing, and deliverance. In that sense, we all that are doing that have a Ph.D., prayer, healing, deliverance. Wow. 
This had a um, somebody's in the chat room, and they just said, "Thank you, Jim, for describing how to discern when it's God's voice and not our imagination or some familiar spirit." Cool. Nice. So. Yeah. Thank so good news is because Bluebeam, because Bluebeam can put thoughts in our minds now. I mean, they've used this. I I had a, a troop tell me that they're using Bluebeam now in the Gulf, so that when when uh, potentially enemy ships approach a non an area that's forbidden for anything other than our military to come in they use blue beam technology and they actually are able to go beyond line of sight and talk to that person's mind and they'll say don't be afraid we're talking directly through modern technology this is a USS um, coal or something off of your port side bow um, you're entering waters that are forbidden. Turn around and change your course to such and such, whatever. This is what they're doing now to keep us out of harm's way to be able to convey what needs to be conveyed. So um, this technology is there. So, okay, one more voice. But you know what? We don't have to worry about it because we know God's voice. One other extra voice doesn't mean nothing you know, to us. It really doesn't. Okay, so you got more added confusion, but you know what? <laughs> Perfect love casts out all fear. It casts out all confusion, too. I don't have sheep, my sheep hear my voice. I'm used to knowing his voice. So, Alfred E. Newman again. What, me worry? No, not at all. <clears throat> yep, you can't worry about it. You really can't. You just have to trust and obey, right? That's, that's yeah. all it requires is trust and obey. So. Fellas, it's getting close to pumpkin time. Yes, it yep. is. It is. Yep. For you guys, anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I just want to let you know it's been a really enjoyable being back. Uh, folks, real quick apology for the last couple of weeks. I happened to be out of town. So um, in my flight, one flight left on uh, Monday, and I came back on a Monday, making it impossible to do the show. So my apologies for that. And thank you for hanging in there with us. Um, these things do come up from time to time, so um, we appreciate your your grace and uh, and forgiveness uh, in that aspect. So um, don't foresee it happening anytime in the near future. So praise the Lord for that. But um, we just really really enjoy our audience, you know, and uh, we just, we just want you to know that our audience is small. I'm going to admit that, you know, but um, I think we have quality people that listen. Um, and that's all that matters. You know, it's uh, the Lord leads people to other people at the right time, according to his purposes. And, um, you know, some people would <laughs> kind of like the people that are on the uh, trying to run churches, in 501c3. Oh, they want numbers. You know, they want, you know, uh, 20, 30,000 people listening. You know, they got to have that. You know, well, first of all, we don't. We don't advertise, so we don't get any money for our show. Uh, to me, advertising on the show would be no different than, than making it a 501c3 organization. Um, and uh, second of all, we don't we do not do it for uh, – we're here for the Lord. We're not here for ourselves. So, um, you know, whether it's an audience of one or an audience of uh, 500, you know, whatever um, – we know that people come to listen to this show as they're being led by the Lord to listen to this show. So um, if he chooses to have a small audience, that's good. If he chooses to have a big, that's good too. But uh, the shows are always out there for people to listen to, and we're thankful for that too. Um, 
So that having been said, Jim, I would you mind um, offering up a prayer before we go off real quick? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and next week I might have a guy that he's, he climbs towers and repairs uh, cell towers. Oh, great, great man. <laughs> okay. At, whoa, 1,700 feet oh. in, in Puerto Rico. Oh, he has, and he was there. He was there for an extended amount of time. And I think he was there for one of the earthquake activities there. That was there. He's familiar with the people, the culture. He's got an unbelievable, amazing story and insight. He's built very well versed in the things that we know of. So um, he's got some interesting things to share about Puerto Rico and just. Well, I, that's why I want to bring him in. He's okay. he's. He's not known, but he's uh, he should be and could be because he's got a great testimony and uh, he loves the Lord. And he's if I ever need anything done on my roof, I'm going to get this guy, man, because, you know, 1700 feet. You know, I mean, people look like ants at that height. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I would be in a fetal position crying out, you know, no, uh, not me. Never happened. Yep. Anyways, he's got to be a corpse of, at the top. Uh, <laughs> all all body fluids would have been extinguished. Sorry for anybody down <laughs> below seventeen hundred feet, but oh yeah. Well, okay, let's let's uh, wrap this up. Father, we just come before you tonight, Lord, and I just pray that help us to do our part in preparing your body for what's about to hit. You've let us know some pretty clear, assured things that we can't even really share. Not that we're trying to be mysterious or anything, Lord, but just everything in its right time and place. Yes. Lord, help us to all be ready to rise, to take a stand for you, to allow you to do through us what we are not capable of doing ourselves, that we might move into the supernatural, that we can truly see people uh, delivered, healed, restored, reconciled, brought to you. Uh, in an outpouring like the world's never seen before, because that's our hope and our promise and should be our focus. Help us to be ready to stand in the gap to a world that's going to be cold cocked, scared to death and, and afraid because many things are going to be different than what we ever expected. But your Holy Spirit, Lord, led by, can lead us and guide us and keep us out of fear, can keep us a source that we will be strong and do exploits in this situation. Help us all to meet our destinies. Help us all to fulfill our reasons and causes that we might stand someday before you and hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We thank you and praise you for your faithfulness, for the fact that you are going to lead and guide us and make us ready and use us in spite of ourselves. We thank you, Lord, in your mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Wonderful prayer. Yes, thanks. Folks, uh, we'll see you next week, uh, next Monday. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel. Um, <laughs> you have to be our age to know what that's all about. <laughs> anyway, um, have a great week, folks, and be, be blessed uh, in the name of uh, the Lord. And uh, just uh, uh, just walk with him and, uh, and trust and don't worry. Don't worry, be happy, okay? Okay, guys, I'm going to hang it up if you want to talk right. a minute or so afterwards. Okay. No, right. I think I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> okay. Good night. Good night, everybody. Right. Yeah.